This is Four Color Radio, where the notes meet the page. Good evening, everybody. Once again, how you doing? My name is Jay. I am your host for this show called Four Color Radio, which is broadcasting to you through the Sound Sugar Radio Network online. And uh, I myself am, am, am in the broadcast studio here at Origin Roads uh, in beautiful Sherwood Park. And very happy to be here. Very excited uh, for today's show. Um, but before we begin, of course, we need to do uh, our acknowledgements as we like to do. So uh, I, actually, we're going to do kind of a joint thing because my guest today isn't in the studio with me. Um, they're in a different location. So uh, I'm going to start off with uh, acknowledging that the, the tonight show is being broadcast from Treaty 6 territory, the traditional lands of First Nations and Métis people. And my guest, Mr. Gord Cummings, is going to uh, acknowledge where he's coming from. Take it away, Gord. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm in Calgary on uh, traditional Treaty 7 territory, which is the ancestral territory of Blackfoot Confederacy. So that includes the Kainai, the Pekini, uh, Siksika, as well as Sutina Nation and Stony Nakoda First Nation. Awesome. Thank you very much for that, Gord. Greatly Thanks. appreciated. And how are you, my friend? It's been a long time since we've uh, seen yeah. each other face to face and had a chance to chat. Yeah, it's, it's a huge honor to be invited onto your show, man. Thank you so much. Well, you're you actually kind of uh, in in a manner of speaking, you kind of invited yourself uh, with when the uh, in a way because you you were uh, I I did a post months and months ago as the show was in the early stages that you caught and you dropped out the name of uh, the, the the movie soundtrack that you wanted that you thought would be a great idea, and I'm like, is that even based on a comic? And you're like, absolutely. <sighs> And as soon as you showed me the cover of the book, I was like, man, I had copies of that book in my old store, Happy Harbor, for like forever. And it was like, it, it cycled very, very slowly. It wasn't overly popular yeah. or, or crazy well known. Um, but yeah, for sure. Like it was uh, the tonight's uh, soundtrack that we're going to be talking about is based off a movie called The Fountain, uh, which is based yeah. off of a comic of the same name that was published by DC Vertigo in 2006, um, which is based off of the movie, which I think yeah, we're going to... super <laughs> weird life cycle. It's got a little yeah. life cycle, but uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit later on. Um, sure. But tonight's uh, focus with the music... Um, primarily comes from uh, one musician. He was responsible for pretty much the soundtrack for the film. Uh, and, and just uh, to actually, like, I, I watched the film last night uh, with my girlfriend, Alina. We, we kind of got down and, and watched it. And, uh, yeah, it really, I had listened to the soundtrack on the weekend, doing my weekend prep for the show, and then watched the movie and the soundtrack really really took on a whole new life for me um the guy who puts on the score together his name is clint mansell uh musician what what do you know about good old clint there Gord? <laughs> there's a lot of a lot of small weird pieces i think about clint mansell and yeah so he was the he was the lead singer i believe of a uh band called pop will eat itself which uh, i believe had one chart topping hit in the 90s yeah i guess he's kind of known for being one of the pioneers of sampling which is kind of cool to think about they're one of the first bands to really do that uh he has no classical training apparently that's and then, crazy that oh, that's after listening to this music it was like to say you have no classical right? training is that's a little little mind-blowing yeah, yeah, he does a pretty bang-up job. I, you mentioned uh, at some point to me Trent Reznor and the comparisons to Trent Reznor, and I can certainly see that, like with the with that lack of classical training and just and the evolution of their music too. Like Trent, you know, people know Trent Reznor from Nine Inch Nails, and then Trent goes on and starts like scoring Disney films and and winning Oscars for it. Uh, you know, Clint coming out of Pop Elite itself, which by its name is going to tell you that. Um, the music is much different than what we're going to hear this evening. Um, yeah. But we are going to start off with a song from Pop Will Eat Itself just to give people a little bit of context of where Clint comes context. from 
and, and, and where he's going. Oh, somebody walked behind you and didn't even wave. That was so rude. Oh, that was just probably my kid. <laughs> Kids today. Am I right? Kids today. Oh, God, all over the lawn. All right, let's get back to our topic on hand. Let's uh, let's start off uh, here with an opening track from Pop Will Eat Itself featuring uh, Clint Mansell. Uh, and this is coming back from the early 1990s. Uh, so are you gonna you're gonna count the the comic book references oh i i i tried <laughs> i think i think i've got five here and there's some pretty deep cuts there's some deep cuts in say. there all right so let's yeah, yeah let's let's throw that out to the audience you guys pay attention uh if you can pick up on all the little nerdisms going on on this uh this track called can you dig it can you dig it okay let's get down to it boppers <laughs> was the band pop will eat itself featuring clint mansell who is going to be our feature for the rest of the evening as we discuss uh his contribution to the movie the fountain um which is going to be much different we're going to hear a lot of different music from this point forward (laughs) very much so Um, yes that's that's pretty good to get us a, a taste of um what uh like how nerdy things are like we're talking comics yeah. and that song has got a lot of comic references we've got uh you know he name drops alan moore because alan moore knows where it's at you know <laughs> <laughs> he can dig it yeah <laughs> uh, you know they talk you know there's if you watch the video um the band is playing in front of tvs and a lot of the scenes on the tvs are pages from the watchman comic 
Um, you know, they just name drop Marvel, DC, Batman. Yeah. Yeah. Furry Freak Brothers, even. Yeah, that was, yes, that's so right. Rubber Crumb. Yeah, yeah. Right out of the Sweet. gate. Yeah, totally. So, yeah, it establishes him as, uh, I think he's got some nerd credibility, some geek cred, right? And very much so, yeah. I, yeah, I think it comes out in the in this album that we're looking at um, that he just loves this music. Like he clearly is invested in this. Right? It's and again coming back to the fact that he has no classical training. Um, what we're about to hear, uh, and and for our listeners who maybe have kind of gotten a little bit used to the fact that, especially the last several episodes, uh, we we go pretty. It's going to be going pretty hard, pretty heavy. There's been a lot of uh, big stuff, and it's been a while since we've done a score. Um, so we're going to let everyone know, like, this is going to be a bit different. This is going to be uh-huh. a bit more, uh, but it, it builds, and, and it gets there. Like, Clint really kind of covers a lot of ground, um, but there's a lot of ground to cover just based on the movie as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's a very dynamic movie. Yeah, it's got a lot going on. Yeah. So where do you think, I mean, obviously for most composers, they're probably going to watch the film. I mean, it's got to go beyond just reading the script to get that inspired to create a score. Um, Like how, like, what do you think the process was that was going on for Clint and, and, and how he came about it? Cause it's really, really, really intense. I find it, I find the whole score pretty intense. Well, I think there's a good possibility, too, that he would have used at least some of the art from the comic uh, to inspire him in this, right? Like, it fully existed by the time that he would have been putting this together. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, maybe, he, maybe he drew from that as well. Like, um, I think Kent Williams' art on its own is dramatic enough, right? <laughs> and you can, he can pull a lot from that, too. Yeah, and Williams is kind of uh, has a bit of a, a reputation in the industry. He was an early kind of um, one of the earlier Vertigo artists who had kind of established uh, the more painted style and, and was setting different tones and moods within Vertigo comics uh, that were changing the landscape of comics overall for so many people. Totally, yeah. Giving way to guys like. Yeah, John Bolton, like like when you mentioned Vertigo, I think John Bolton, but certainly goes back to that that Kent Williams and those kind of nineties covers to some of the Vertigo stuff, right? Yeah. Absolutely really, really Vertigo. Well, yeah. tying it into Vertigo, the uh, the first song that we're going to listen to here from the Fountain soundtrack actually has a name that's shared with a very famous Vertigo series that's getting its own TV yes. show. Uh, so I'm maybe- super excited about this development. I don't know how you are, but I loved Why the Last Man. It is. So the song that we're going to listen to up first coming from the Fountain is called The Last Man uh, by Clint Mansell. And for those of you who are kind of wondering what, comic we're talking about we're talking about the comic why the last man um by brian k vaughn which is going to be a a tv series debuting very very soon Uh, so we might be doing a soundtrack covering show with that down there i call dibs there you go (laughs) all right uh let's kick it let's kick off here this the uh the fountain soundtrack uh with our first cut of this evening as selected by my guest gord cummings uh it's called the last man
that song was called Holy Dread from the 2006 movie The Fountain, uh, which we'll talk a little bit more about the particulars of. But uh, right before Holy Dread, we heard The Last Man. Both songs are by Clint Mansell, uh, who composed the entire score for the film. Two, two very different songs, clearly. Absolutely. Uh, last, last Man is uh, a bit simpler, uh, like as far as like the instrumentation goes, as far as the number of instruments, we get into Holy Dread and literally uh, just add some bass. <laughs> yeah, a lot of the same melodies, but building on each other. And yeah, Last Man gives you this this idea of the somber tone of the, the whole soundtrack. And introduces you to that. Uh, but then Holy Dread shows you that hey, there's at least something a little more, a little more violent here, a little more, a little more to unravel, I think, than what Last Man would leave you with, right? So it's, I think those two are in good contrast to one another, even though Holy Dread builds on, yeah, Last Man quite a bit. Yeah, and it, it really it has to play into the movie because the movie's a little bit on the complex side. I mean, from a storyline, sure. it's covering three very different time periods. It's there's the the 500 plus years in the past uh, with the conquistadors. There's the modern day, and then there's the kind of future, but we don't really know how far in the future. It could be like 30 minutes after the last present day scene. It could be thousands of years. We don't know. Um, but that 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 change in tone and style from Last Man to Holy Dread, like you said, keeping the keeping the kind of the, the musical theme going, but just yeah. Playing with some of the instruments in there and just changing the complexity is really a huge nod to the movie itself, because the yeah. Lead, yeah, the lead characters play kind of themselves in each time period, right? Yeah, and it totally works. It totally works. But I, I guess you know, the first time I saw it, I found it a little bit confusing. But yeah, after after a couple of views, you really get into what he's trying to lay down or at least what he's trying to lead you towards so that you can draw your own conclusions, which to me is just fantastic fiction, just well, well-written fiction that, that leaves you kind of guessing, like, what is what is he trying to say here? And, and I think depending on the medium, too, that you're taking this all in, like, you could probably listen to the soundtrack and have that same experience. Uh, you could watch the movie and have that experience. And I think the graphic novel does that pretty well as well. It, it would be interesting. I know, um, uh, and we had talked about this earlier off air, uh, when I, after I watched the movie, um, the music took on a much stronger meaning. Um, unfortunately, we couldn't find a copy of the comic uh, anywhere through the Edmonton Public Library system, and and sure. yeah, and and as you had pointed out to me at one point in time, it's like I think Jay, you probably know a few nerds out there. Somebody might have a copy. It is like, well, probably with everything that was going on, it was a little, a they little probably tricky. bought it from your store, man. Yeah, probably. Um, yeah. It was just a little tricky to kind of track down a copy uh, and then sure. get it all in to digest everything. But uh, yeah, having the soundtrack playing while you're reading the book, I think would would change the experience again. Yeah, you know, the soundtrack's so burned into my brain, so it was really hard for me to be objective about it as I was reading the graphic novel again. And it's like I was I was certainly hearing like the the drums of Clint Mansell's music and uh, as I'm reading this, especially the, the Spanish conquistador parts, because I, I found in the in the graphic novel that it plays that out a little bit more and gives you a bit more context as to what's going on. Yeah. I don't know if he chose to do that because of the medium or because he uh, he had the space to actually do that, where he didn't have the space in, in the movie. Yeah. Well, uh, let's get back into some of the music from the movie. Um, we're going to sure. play two more tracks uh, again. Uh, the first one is called Tree of Life. Uh, yeah. and we're going to follow it up with uh, First Snow. Uh, both the titles of these songs are just, they're actually almost... Well, for the rest of the uh, the next four songs that we're going to do for the rest of the show, uh, the titles are just dead on descriptors of plot points in the film. <laughs> they're yeah. just like, yeah. they're, they're telling it like it is. So, uh, so let's roll into some more tunes here from the 2006 film, The Fountain. Uh, the music by Clint Mansell. And the first track we're going to take in is called Tree of Life.
And that was First Snow by Clint Mansell from the 2006 movie The Fountain. Uh, First Snow and before that Tree of Life, titles for the songs that are key important pieces of the film. Um, and really uh, kind of, it, the tree, we were talking, that I thought the Tree of Life try not to do any spoilers or anything, but uh, right, the tree right. of life is the tree of life in the movie. And to me, the tree of life was always a very, it was more of a somber, softer uh, icon in the film. But the music that Clint chose follows right off of Holy Dread and it continues and maintains that intensity. And then when we come, ah. to, we come to first snow, it, he winds it back down again. Just, just chills it right off. Yeah, and see, that's why I like this. It, it, we're interpreting interpreting things a little bit differently, and like he's got this tree of life that's is kind of saddled to as he's floating through the galaxy. And um, yeah, I was saying uh, off mic about uh, these two songs and how they kind of play off these two sides of Galactus almost. And I kind of see the the tree of life as very similar to Galactus, where it's yeah, ancient, endless. Uh, pure, very pure. Doesn't really, doesn't really care about what is going on around it. It's absolutely beautiful and stunning, and it's very violent as you get from Tree of Life. And then First Snow is kind of like Galactus, the Life Bringer, where it's, it's like, yeah, we recognize that there is this constant in the universe of this Tree of Life. Um, it doesn't care about us, but we can still find some semblance of of beauty or some semblance of, of love. Love can exist within the tree of life. <laughs> That's what I'm collecting from it. Well, no, and I, <laughs> that, that I can see that too, you know, cause the, the big thing with the, the comic book character Galactus is that Galactus just is. And I mean, yeah, it yeah. sucks. It sucks that Galactus, eats planets but that's just what he does that's, that's what he does so yeah. the, the tree of life is is doing what the tree of life does and it, it is very violent and unpleasant um but at the same time when people are trying to connect with the tree of life it the the tree itself is is so sensitive and and for most of the movie it's dying so yeah i kind of felt bad for it <laughs> you know it's just kind of uh, odd but yeah at the same time it's it's a very kind of it, it's there and it exists but because it exists it's, its existence is violent um so so would it be fair to say that uh, you found the tree of life to be much more of a sympathetic character than Hugh Jackman's portrayal. Oh, absolutely, one hundred percent. I, I am uh, this inanimate object. I am, I, I am more tree of in Camp Tree of Life than I am Camp Tommy, which is the name of Hugh Jackman's character in the movie. Um, totally. Yeah, I did, I did have trouble really connecting with that character. The movie is super interesting and it's told in a cool way, uh, and yeah. it's a great concept, but the yeah, Hugh Jackman's character. One of the big things is that Hugh Jackman, like, I'm a guy, if I see someone crying, I will tear up. If I see uh, people having a hard time, I will feel bad and I will tear up. And Hugh Jackman spends most of this movie in personal pain and crying, and I did not shed a single tear through this entire film. I could what about not... Rachel Weiss's character? I don't know. You gotta feel bad for her. I didn't feel bad because she didn't feel bad for herself. Oh uh, yeah, she was at peace with it. She was, sure. yeah. She was just like, yeah. "This is this is what's happening, man." Like you know, and she just she kept telling, she keeps telling Tommy, mm. "It's like you know what? I've accepted it. You should accept it." And he's just like, "No, I'm gonna punch things, and I'm gonna be angry, and I'm gonna like do things to monkeys." Wow. And yeah, and I was like, "Oh, dude, you just need to." You need. To you are that. messing with my perception of this movie. I love it. <laughs> so is is Rachel Weiss's character getting fridged for I, the benefit? If you look at that movie, there's really only essentially three female characters in it. Um, one of them is there just to die. One of them is yeah. there just to say like, "Hey, stop! Go spend time with the person who's dying." And then the third one is basically going around and says, Tommy's a dick. Like it's, it's not, I don't know the characters and in fairness, outside of Hugh Jackman and Rachel Weiss, none of the characters are really fleshed out to be yeah. 
anything. They're they're kind of cardboard stand-ins for a lot. Of, but yeah. I, I don't know how does in the that comic. It was like that. It too. was like that yeah. too in the comic. That was yeah. Nice. That was I nice. would say so. But yeah, Tommy's character I found in the comic was was way less likable and. And it might be that because I have a bit of a man crush on Hugh Jackman that, you know, I was just kind of taken in by his handsomeness and that was the <laughs> end of it. But, uh, yeah, in the comic, I just found he was like this, this yeah, kind of a douchebag, like somebody I would, I would say to my female friend, like, you gotta leave this dude. Like, <laughs> your life is short. <laughs> does, she, does she need to finish it? Does she need to finish the relationship? This is my really poor segue into the next song. The next song, is, the next song is called <laughs> the next song is called "Finish It," um, and we're gonna we're gonna kind of slide into that and uh, and give it a listen. It'll be a, a solo shot here because then once we come out, we're gonna do our little uh, movie breakdown as we do uh, each episode. Yeah. Um, so of let's course. get back into the music from uh, Clint Mansell uh, from the soundtrack of "The Fountain." Again, this song is called "Finish It."
that song was called Finish It uh, from Clint Mansell as part of the 2006 film The Fountain, um, which we're now going to talk about a little bit more because it's that point in the show where we, uh, we break down the film or TV show or anime, as we've now been doing as well, and talk a little bit about, uh, you know, what brought this this piece of art to life. Um, oh, was that me? Was that my, oh my, that's the problem with doing things on the phone. I think I just got a message or something. I don't know. <laughs> uh, so let's see here. So The Fountain was released in uh, November 22nd of 2006. It had a budget of $35 million, uh, and but only grossed $16 million. So when this movie came out, oh. it did not do particularly well. However, Ouch. there is a lot of backstory to this film. So originally, the film <laughs> began production in 2002 with a $70 million budget. Uh, and it was it was a concept created uh, by writer director uh, Darren Ennis, uh, Aronsofsky. Oh man, you know I've been practicing that all day and I still botched it. I know I, I can't get it. I can't quite uh, get it. The uh, the Not original the original film was to star Brad Pitt and Kate Blanchett, um, but then things started running behind. Apparently, uh, Miss Blanchett was pregnant for a while, so they kind of delayed some of the film stuff. When they were ready to go, Brad Pitt pulled out. Uh, and eventually the movie, which had begun shooting in Australia uh, and had built sets and had done a whole bunch of work, uh, got cut off. So the movie's done and Darren Aronofsky is just kind of like, well, I really like comics, so I'm going to like make a comic out of this movie. Uh -huh. And he uh, gets Kent Williams and, uh, and also he got a co-writer, Ari... Oh, it was, a, I think, oh, a, a university friend of his um, and who had just graduated with a PhD in one of the sciences um, in some kind of medical science thing. So they worked oh, together wow. to to flesh out the story, create the comic. And then when the comic was done uh, in 2004, or, sorry, 2004, yeah, 2004, uh, it got picked up as a movie again by the studios. And this time they attach Hugh Jackman and Rachel Weiss to the film. Uh, it's primarily shot in Montreal. So thank you, Gord, for bringing us our Canadian content for the evening. Uh, <laughs> the composer Clint Mansell uh, also scored Aronofsky's other films, uh, Rec Room for a Dream and Pie. And so apparently they've been working together quite a bit. Uh, so it seemed to work out uh, fairly well. Um, we talked a little bit about Kent Williams before, um, probably some of the biggest things, the biggest problem that the fountain probably had when it came out as a comic, it was released the same year as Sin City was hitting the theaters and all the volumes were being re-released. Uh, Walking Dead was in its infancy. Uh, and for the, uh, the big, uh, the big two, uh, Batman, uh, was going through a series called Hush, uh, which was a monster, monster storyline that was so good. dominating the show. Oh, so. man. Yeah. That was a huge thing. When The Fountain came out, uh, its initial release uh, put it at number 34 uh, when the book first dropped at 2,700 sales to comic book stores. Um, but putting it in comparison to what other books were doing, the number one selling graphic novel for the same month was a book called OMAC uh, at nearly seven times the volume of sales. So Vertigo books aren't always known for having big sales out of the gate. Uh the fountain was no exception. It did see a bit of a resurgence, of course, once the movie came out, but the movie didn't do particularly well at the box office either. So kind of, kind of killed the book sales, uh, a little bit. Um, so that's kind of our, our, our media breakdown, uh, on the different platforms there, the film and the comic, but we did have a question, uh, coming out of the chat room there. Um, so we did have one coming to you, Gord, if you knew anything about, uh, Mansell's composition process, uh, since we explained that he doesn't have any formal classical training. Um, so, you know, are you familiar with how he actually puts these big pieces together? Not, not deeply, but I do know that on this particular soundtrack, he did have the help of a pianist named Randy Kerber, who is best known for doing uh, Over the Rainbow with Barbara Streisand. <laughs> and uh, he's done the Titanic soundtrack, Beautiful Mind, Harry Potter stuff. So, I mean, that's that's pretty significant to have somebody <laughs> like that in your corner. It's quite the and, and apparently... He, he wanted to get um, 
David Bowie on board with this to do the final track on this soundtrack. Oh, wow. And he couldn't get Bowie, so then he was able to get uh, Anne, I believe it's Anne Henney of Anne, Anne Henney and the Johnsons. Okay. Or previously Anthony and the Johnsons. And um, apparently this track exists where he did this final track off of this album with Anthony, who has an absolutely beautiful voice. Uh, I would love, love, love to hear that. But uh, Mansell decided to go with uh, Randy Kerber, just his his piano just by itself in yeah. the final track. So, so I believe he's got some help there along the process. Just like, you know, I think of duos like uh, Trent Reznor and uh, Atticus Ross. Yeah. Yeah. He's got good, guys like good partnerships that end up creating some amazing music. Yeah. 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 I, I was going to say to uh, Nick cave and Warren Ellis are, are right. kind of like that as well. I'll just, Absolutely. Actually, this soundtrack reminds me a lot of Nick Cave and Warren Ellis and stuff. It's absolutely beautiful, beautiful music. Uh, also from the chat, uh, thanks to Eager Newbie who chimes in to give us Ari's last name, Ari Hen- Handel, or Handel, I guess it would probably be, um, who was the uh, the co-writer, or, or kind of helped out Darren writing the comic uh, as well that made it good so all right let's get into uh what is going to be our final track for the night we did get a little bit of a late start for those of you who are listening live or yeah we're going to be running long but we started late so it's okay it all works out in the end um the last track uh is a beast it's it's a monster monster piece it's, it's a big one a little bit on the longer side but it's 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 big it is very very big it really kind of uh it covers the last kind of few chunks of the movie uh, or the last few scenes of the movie, which which bounce through time, it bounces through the past, present, and the future all very quickly to tie everything together. And and this song ends off, especially with those last scenes of the movie, uh, with Hugh Jackman's character Tommy, you know, finally getting some resolution yeah. for everything that he's been yeah. going through. Yeah. It's just a good good way to end this, I think, because it encapsulates. The whole movie and i think if you were going to do a read of the graphic novel definitely have this song playing in the background as you're reading it's they complement each other very very well fantastic the song is called death is the road to awe it's written oh. by clint mansell along with the uh chronos quartet uh and yeah. it's a bit of a longer piece folks so uh settle in and prepared to be uh hopefully taken on a journey across the universe
was Death is the Road to Awe uh, by Clint Mansell from the 2006 film The Fountain. Um, a very cerebral movie, I guess is probably the way to put it. Something that uh, Darren Aronofsky does quite a bit of. Um, and uh, as we were talking about off air, he is literally just kind of putting out the possibilities of what life is, was, and can be, or might be again. And he's not really kind of coming up with anything super definitive about it. It's just giving you a lot to chew on. Wouldn't you say, Gordon? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Life or love or both or neither, maybe death. <laughs> and and does it does it last forever? Does it does it come back again? Is it recycled? Do you just keep trying? Uh, in a lot of ways, if we're going to tie it to another comic, we can almost tie it to the Hawks, Hawkman and Hawkwoman, and their whole oh, story yeah. of them being constantly reincarnated over and over totally. again. Totally. No matter what happens, they will always find each other. They will always fall in love, and they will always fight for justice. Oh. So look at that. That's what we're, I love about this. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's what I love about and this story too, right? Like that that idea that love is a constant in the universe. That as much as we know about what's going on around us, that love is the constant. My wife's got this tattoo on her forearm, uh, and it's sign language. It's love wins, and this is that. Uh, to me, this is that. Anyways, I, that's what I take away from the fountain is that, yeah, love is a constant. Love is the thing that wins in the end. Uh, and a lot of what we think is love is not necessarily love. It's more this this kind of calm contentment. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm probably reading way too much into it. That's, probably making it way more personal. Uh, that's, that's all right. That's what you're supposed to do. It never you're, intends to be. You're supposed, yeah. to, you're supposed to view a piece of art and then, you know, what you interpret uh, it. Art is subjective. Uh, make it make it your own as you see fit. Um, again, oh, that's another chime. I must be... Uh, must be a signal. Um, my guest this evening, Gord Cummings. Thank you so much, Gord, for bringing, uh, introducing me to the film, for introducing me to the music. Yeah. Uh, for those listening out there, you know, check out the comic if you can track down a copy. Uh, and I hope you enjoyed the music that we brought forth for you tonight. Uh, stay safe down there, my friend, down in Calgary. Yeah. We'll see you in, in person soon, I'm sure. Absolutely, absolutely. I look forward to it. Uh, my name, again, is Jay Bardella. I'm your host of Four Color Radio. Next week, my guest will be a stand-up comic, uh, stand-up human being. Uh, he's a baller and an artist. His name is Andy Cookson. He's bringing to us the opportunity to just chew on a whole bunch of awesome songs. We're going back to 1995. We'll be playing Saturday Morning, Cartoon's Greatest Hits. <laughs> Uh, which is covering, I'm looking forward to that. Oh, that's, it's going to be so much fun. I, I love this. We've got it on vinyl, so we're going to be spinning some vinyl for your folks next week. It's going to be an awesome show. Uh, as always, folks, thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, our intro is done by Phil Scott, and our closing out music that I'm about to punch up here is by Mr. Adrian Ellis. Have yourself a wonderful week, and we will talk to you soon.